Um, well, I'm going to have a little chat about heartworm disease. We're coming into the warmer months and there's going to be some mozzies around, so we need to make sure everybody's up to date with heartworm. Uh, what I will be talking about, we've, we've mentioned many times uh, during the life of the show about grain-free diets for our dogs and cats and so forth and benefits of that. I'm going to go one step extra. We'll be talking to Dr. Bruce Syme about feeding a raw diet to your dog or your, or your cat and the benefits of a raw diet. Definitely there's no grains in there, but it's actually raw. It's not cooked. It doesn't look like a, a kibble, like your normal commercial pet food diet. So interesting topic ahead. Pet Chat uh, with Kimberly Earl and Daniel Carrington. Now we've got a special guest on the phone, Daniel. We do, Colin. Look, on the show today, we'll be talking to Dr. Bruce Syme from Vets All Natural, and he'll be talking to us about the benefits of feeding a natural diet to our dogs and cats. Now, Bruce, Dr. Bruce Syme is a practicing vet in Victoria. He's been a vet for over 25 years, and he's dedicated to improving the quality, the longevity, and the health of dogs and cats uh, in their life. So uh, let's talk to Dr. Bruce Syme. Welcome to the show. Bruce. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Look, I, I guess from coming from a background in pet stores as well, we're used to selling and, and feeding our dogs the, the commercial dog foods, the dry kibble, which is handy, uh, mm. and uh, it's, it's very easy. It doesn't have to be refrigerated and so forth, just kept in the bag. Yep. But my question to you is, first of all, during your time as a vet, what are the benefits you've been or you've seen in feeding a raw diet to our dogs and cats? Look, I mean, probably the most um, the most important thing is increased longevity, so lifespan. You know, the animals that I see that eat raw food basically live longer. Um, you know, and what and they live longer in a healthy state. So it's not just you know sort of creaking old and decrepit. These animals are actually you know improved in general health and vigor. They have less chronic disease, so they have less arthritis. They have less allergies and skin problems. They have less cancer. So these animals are not only living longer, but they're living healthier and longer. And, of course, at the end of the day, they have much less uh, uh, vet bills, which is a big plus, obviously, for the pet owner. Not so good for me, <laughs> but, uh, but a big plus for the pet owner. That's true. I guess it does make a big difference, which begs me to ask you, if that is the case, then what makes a raw food so good and, and give it those, given those properties? So what kind of ingredients would you find in a good raw food diet for dogs? Well, look, I mean, the, the very concept of, of what we're trying to do is really about mimicking Mother Nature. Mm. Um, if you think about the, the, the really simple fact, you know, dogs and cats can't cook. Um, so number one, the concept of raw food comes from common sense, and uh, humans are the only species on the planet that actually cook their food. Mm. Um, you know, we've harnessed fire and utilised it, but these animals have been around for millions of years, evolved to eat raw food. So, number one, feed it raw, and you need to look at a whole carcass model. So, it's not just meat, but it's organs, it's bone material, the vegetable matter that would come from the content of a prey animal. So, there's a range of ingredients that you need to get in there to make a balanced diet. Um, cats certainly require a higher meat content. They're what we call an obligate carnivore, so they must have meat in their diet to survive, whereas dogs can get away with more vegetable matter. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, meat, organs and bone is, are the primary ingredients for a carnivore's diet. Um, and as long as you get things in balance, it's actually not hard and it can be very, very cheap to create terrific, healthy uh, homemade dog food and cat food. And cat food. So, uh, so you're talking about vegetables and meat. Some mm -hmm. people just feel like, oh, we just feed the dog meat. But there is, you do need to have the vegetable yeah. matter in there. Can you explain Absolutely. why? Well, look, basically, I mean, a lot of your micronutrition um, comes from that. So a lot of your vitamins, your minerals, your trace elements, so these are the things that actually come from 
the vegetable matter, and that would normally be in the in the stomach and the gut content of the prey animal. So, you know, if a dog goes out and catches a rabbit, um, you know, he pretty much demolishes the whole thing. I mm. mean, bar the fur and the pelt, um, which often they'll they'll bring up or skin themselves. They eat the stomach, which is full of uh, obviously pre-digested grass and material and things like that, and that's where often they get a lot of it. Um, dogs also will naturally eat grass. You know, you'll yes. see a healthy dog will go out and selectively pick, you know, fresh shoots of grass to have a nibble on. So that's quite normal and quite healthy for a dog to graze on vegetable matter as part of their normal diet. So, you know, it is important to get these balances right. One of the big issues that I see in practice is people who go for the raw concept but don't think about getting the the balance right, and that's where things can really come undone. So it is important to make sure that you're following a good recipe or a pre-formulated diet, you know, made by someone like myself. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's true what you were saying because you spoke about also the importance of bone in there and there's nutritional yep, values to that so Very with someone so. who's making their own raw diet at mm. home mm. is that advisable or possibly maybe not so advisable because well, look, you I do mean, have it, to have a mixture yeah I think it, it's advisable as long as they have a good resource material mm. so you know ideally some information put together by a veterinarian or a good pet nutritionist and there's some good books out there I mean Dr Billinghurst has written a terrific book called mm. Give Your Dog a Bone which has really clear instructions on how to put these diets together. I've got a book that we're literally launching sometime in the next few months on our website. We've got some very detailed information on how to make home-prepared diets. So it's possible, but I wouldn't suggest you go out cowboy style and just throw a bit of meat and bone in a bowl and think you've got it covered. It does take a little bit more science, but it's not that difficult. Look, there are, there are many cases coming out where pets who've, who've suffered allergies and skin irritations and have had years of cortisone treatment mm-hmm. and who are now fed a complete balanced raw diet uh, have seen these allergies disappear. Can you explain why these good results have come about through feeding a raw diet? Basically, I sort of, I guess the easiest uh, um, sort of way to think about it is, is to imagine that we're really talking about what's happening with the immune system. You know, allergies are when the immune system has gone haywire. Mm. I often equate it to it's a bit like when you first buy a computer. You know, everything's great, everything boots up quickly, it takes you a couple of minutes, you're up and away now. You take that same computer two, three years down the track, it's been on the internet, it's loaded up with malware and viruses. What you really want to do is just push that reset button. Give me that factory reset to take Mm. me back to the way it was. Now, that's what we're doing when we take these animals off a processed diet and put them onto raw food. We're literally hitting the reset button on the immune system, and we're restoring immune health in these animals, and that's what's getting rid of these allergies. So realistically, yeah, what we're doing is working with the immune system and feeding it what it's been, you know, dying and screaming out for for all those years, you know, Western medicine is great at suppressing the symptoms, but we do nothing else to address the underlying problem, then they just keep coming back. And, so it's uh, a bit like a detox regime for humans. Absolutely. <laughs> Very much the same thing. Yeah, look, purge the rubbish out. I mean, when you talked about, you know, the convenience of dry food and, you know, it's easy, it's balanced, it's in a bag. I mean, you know, what springs to mind to me is, yep, we're talking about McDog food. Mm. <laughs> you know, quick, easy, convenient, but there's always a price tag. And, and when it comes to nutrition, we know exactly what happens if you eat too much dog food. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. What yep. about if our dog does like the dried dog food kibble? Um, mm-hmm. Is it fine to add a bit of raw diet to it? Look, perfect way to start. Yeah. Yes. At a lot of people, you'll find it's really common practice is for people feeding kibble to add some fresh meat on top of the kibble. Now, that's a good way to start the process. I wouldn't say that's a good way to do it long term because 
you're actually then adding pure meat to what is already a technically balanced diet, so you're actually creating imbalance. Mm. But it's a great way to get a dog on to the concept of fresh meat, and I would use that as a stepping stone to, to phasing out the kibble and looking at bringing in some products that turn that fresh meat into a fully balanced diet, you know introduce the bones to make sure we've got dental hygiene. I mean, you know, we could, we, at the moment, the, the dental industry with vets, it's a multi-million dollar industry in this country alone. Now, that could go to zero if people fed their dogs raw food and raw bones all the time. You know, there wouldn't be a dental industry. But uh, at the moment, because we don't and we feed all this tinned and dry muck, um, you know, dental disease is rife and it's probably the number one uh, money spinner for vets. So, you know, I'm not sort of knocking it. Mm. They, these animals need treatment, but um, it is the diet that's creating this problem, um, and it's so easy to prevent and treat. Yeah, well, I have seen benefits with dogs on a raw diet just like yourself, and it is amazing to see the differences. So, yeah, look, um, thank you for your time. Really appreciate that, and I'm, I definitely would love to have you on the show again in the future. I am always welcome. It's one of my favourite topics. <laughs> see you, Bruce. Fantastic. Good on you. Bye. And uh, Linda from Adamstown, your dog's a little scared about grooming. He is terrified. <laughs> so yeah. tell me what's going on. What's, what's the part that he doesn't like? Um, basically, as soon as we arrive, he just shuts down and he's terrified. Okay. So you're taking um, him to a groomer? Yes, yeah. I was taking him to a different one and okay. it got to the point where he was upset to go. And my daughter was getting upset that we were taking him. Yeah. But then I was doing him myself at one of the places where you can go and wash them and stuff. And he would tolerate it. Yeah. Um, but I can't go near him with clippers or anything. Yeah. He's okay. a Pomeranian so he's got lots of fur and he needs yeah. um, you know, hygiene and stuff. And yeah. so then it, I just took him recently um, to a really good place. They were wonderful with him. But he was so distressed. He was pooing and then mm. he started pooing blood Okay. as well so yeah. they were really worried about him and I'm not sure if I should keep taking him or what should we do yeah so listen I mean he obviously needs to have the grooming done that's really important um, for his mm. you know sort of skin health but obviously something has um, created a really bad um, perception in his mind about what's happening and whether or not he's had an actual bad experience or there's just an impression that he's had a bad experience or he's just working himself up uh, you know repeatedly taking him to the point if, if he's getting that stressed is not sort of helping him and it's going to get worse and worse as he goes. What I would okay. recommend is speak to your regular vet about getting him in to have a grooming done there under sedation. And there's lots of sedations that we can use that actually are what we call amnestic drugs. And so the dog um, is more relaxed while we're doing it, but he also doesn't remember what's happened during that period of time. And we do find that dogs that have anxiety, quite often if we... If we um, groom them that way and now in fairness you're taking him to a vet hospital so we can do a job that makes him tidy but it won't be quite as beautiful as if Cheryl were here and she was doing it um, but really you know quite often over time with some anti-anxiety medication we can often bring these guys around to the point where they will tolerate it he'll probably never enjoy it but you know he won't be so um, dead frightened about it and that's probably what I'd recommend for him okay yeah okay. that's where I was at I yeah. was saying the vet saying look yeah. I think that my dog's going to have to be sedated and they said oh we'll try this place so I did yeah. and yeah I wasn't sure if it's something that if I keep going he will come to come around or if he's just 
you know, probably it's without, not worth without it. some desensitization, he probably won't come around on his own. Um, but talk, talk to the vets because there are certainly some things that you could have at home in tablet form that might be useful as well. All right, thanks, Linda. As we head from Adamstown to Argenton, good afternoon to you, Vicky. Hi, Vicky. You've got a daughter whose dog is unwell. Is that right? Um, well, it, it's well. Um, oh. We're having major problems with it. Um, it's, Linda, could you, uh, so, Vicky, could you just turn your radio down, please? Thank yes, you. Um, I have the brother, they're chihuahuas, they're just over 12 months old. Yep. Um, we both had trouble house training them, mm-hmm. um, but my daughter's dog um, did eventually start using the puppy pads. Okay. Um, now my daughter is pregnant um, with her third child, Um Ziggy had been fine all along with the children. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, she has started um, going into the children's beds of a night yeah. and pooping and kiddling through okay. their beds while they're asleep. Right. So um, it sounds like. Every night, the yeah. daughter's putting her hair out. Okay. So, Vicky, it sounds like the dog needs to be taken back to puppy school, okay? Not to school, literally, but the puppy doesn't, the dog doesn't get to have any privileges in the house. You need to go back to crate training. So we need to have a small crate, something big enough to have a bed in, but not big enough to feel like I can move to the other side of the crate and get away from my bed and do my business there. Because we need to teach the dog that it's not okay to um, toilet where you sleep. And we need to give him an incentive to hang on to his you know, bodily functions. Um, so it's not trust trustworthy free in the house and I suspect that even a bathroom will be too big because he'll have a, a bed in one corner and he'll go and void in the other area so you need to go um, have a nice sort of small crate he gets he gets taken out to the toilet of an evening put in the crate and taken out again in the morning and the first thing he does in the morning you take him out somebody needs to go out with him onto the back lawn and stay with him give him a little command word you know do your toilet or something like that um, until he until he sort of does his business outside okay he needs to start from square one um, call call your local vet and speak to one of their puppy um, puppy school trainers if if you need some help with that because most of them will know about crate training but um, definitely he needs to go back to, to basics with him okay all right thanks for that uh, let's go to Wade from Jules good afternoon to you Wayne good afternoon hi Ju- hi Wayne how are you doing great thank you what I'm ringing about is yep. two two weeks ago I think it was you was saying that you've never fed your dog bones. <laughs> I knew it was coming, yeah. Wayne. I knew the call was coming. <laughs> and yep. now I have a staffy yep. and I didn't get all of that message the last time because I come in on the back end of it. Oh, okay. And my staffy, being a staffy, yep. and she's only 10 months old, she's chewed the back steps, she's yeah. chewed her lounge shed, and we've given her all the toys and they're destroyed in no time. Yep. So we've occasionally been giving her bones. Yeah. Should we not be giving her the bones? And as I said, I came in on the end of your... Uh, segment, yep. and I didn't get all of it. Okay. So listen, this is a really controversial area in um, in the veterinary world in Australia. Um, and we've just had a, um, another vet on speaking about raw diets and feeding bones and things like that. Um, it is certainly controversial. I've never fed my dog a bone. I don't recommend feeding bones. I don't think there's any such thing as a 100% safe bone. I've seen raw bones cause splintered teeth. Uh, they can cause wow. lacerations of the esophagus, perforations of the intestines. They certainly cause constipation. 
situation. Um, cooked bones are even worse, and you should never, ever, ever, ever feed a cooked bone. Um, some dogs tolerate raw bones, all right, but you know it, there's never a guarantee. And and I was just saying to Danny beside me that if I was practicing in Canada and I recommended feeding bones to a dog, um, I, it's considered malpractice over there. So Australia is quite different. There is a culture of feeding bones, and lots of vets still recommend it. Lots of people still do it. So I've gotten a little bit more flexible. I think if you have a dog who's destroying your home and your property that um, you obviously need to, to do something about it. And there are things like nylabones, giant-sized nylabones, and, you know, you can freeze Kongs with food in them, and that can be helpful. But some dogs, you know, there, there is no replacement in terms of delight, I guess. I, I agree, dogs love bones. Um, and I think in some cases they can be useful, but I think there's no guarantee. And, and I certainly take out, um, every year I take out a number of broken teeth from dogs who have broken their teeth on a good old, you know, raw bone that they've been yeah. chewing on and they've had a slab fracture and now we're doing major surgery to remove that otherwise healthy tooth. So I think, you know, it's controversial if it works for your dog that's okay. There are some problems with it for sure. Um, and I think it's a decision that each person has to sort of make for themselves in, in conjunction and discussion with their vet. You mentioned that alternative bone. What was that again, please? Um, so, not well, in Canada, in uh, North America anyway, there's a product called a Nyla bone, but they have them here too. I've found it harder to find some of the big ones, but I'm sure if you talk to Danny, he could get to you. And they're, they're basically a plastic, sort of a hard plastic bone, but what they do is that the dogs gnaw at them and they get these little tiny bits off so over time the bone gets smaller and smaller but they're not so hard and brittle that they can break teeth what happens with with the nyla bone yep Mm -hmm. that that isn't it's more to do with dental care with the nyla bone and chewing and so forth i don't think nyla bones are very good i don't think that they help clean teeth but but they're quite good at giving the dog something to do yeah with the with the raw bones i know where kimberly is coming from Mm. in regards to um dangers of it so i think what you need to be aware of is what kind of bones would be suitable for your dog and for your breed and definitely raw not cooked because it's very dangerous to do cooked bones um where dr Bruce Syme is coming from is going back to the diet that our dogs have been used to for thousands and thousands of years and it's only in the last 60, 70 years that we fed them commercial diets, fed them Nyla bones or all these other kind of commercial products that are available. I know with my dogs, I have Weimaranas and I breed them, there are certain bones I certainly wouldn't give them but chicken wings or chicken drumsticks or chicken necks tend to be fine and I don't have problem. But the other thing is going back from when you're dealing with, with chicken bones, for example, most of the chicken you get today, the human-grade chicken, just from your butcher or your supermarket, because they're not very old bones, they're, they're, they're basically grown them till about 10 weeks of age. They're still very flexible and they're easy to crush. But if you were, you know, had a very old chicken or something with a, with a bone that's not flexible and very hard, yeah, I can see certain issues and problems with that. I think it's about right. being selective. Now, the goodness of a bone, when a dog in the wild catches its prey, whether it's a rabbit or a bird of some sort, they do eat the insides out first and then they eat the bone. The bone isn't big bone. It's a rabbit we're talking about. Or, or some kind of game or some kind of bird, but they get the goodness of the bone, which is the calcium and the marrow. There is a lot of goodness in the bone that they can digest. So there's different schools of mm, thoughts, and yeah. it is controversial. It is, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, have, have a good think about it. It may be right for your dog. It might not be. Um, there are There's a few other confounding factors that we see that we you know are, are careful with in terms of... Um, 
bacterial problems and stuff in, in the humans in the household. There's certainly some evidence that humans in households of dogs fed raw bones or raw meat and, and bones. Um, humans have more bacterial problems. Um, so it's good to good to have a think about, you know, sort of... There's no one right answer, I don't think, for, for everybody in the whole world. This is 2NURFM's Pet Chat. Now, Noel, you've got a bit of a problem, mate. A uh, bit of a fussy eater on the hands. Yeah, he is, actually. Um, what happened when we first got him, we tend to spoil him a bit and treat him like a, a puppy for most of his life. He's seven-year-old. Yep. And we used to chop yep. up his food into just like little mouthfuls. Mm-hmm. And if I put anything big in front of him, he won't sort of get into it and snarl into it. Okay. And also, I'm feeding him um, that uh, VIP dog mint of the morning, and I'm giving him chicken next to the night. Mm-hmm. But he's getting fat. He's getting fat? He's getting fat. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to remember, Spoodle's potentially not the most high-energy dogs. Um, what my first... My first comment is always, in a lot of cases, if your dog is not eating very well, quite often there's too much food available. Um, and so most of the times, these little guys, you know, assuming he's sort of under 10 to 12 kilos, um, you know, that amount of food that you're feeding him is potentially quite a lot. You know, um, one chicken neck every couple of days is probably sufficient um, if he's getting a bit of extra, you know, VIP roll. Does he have biscuits available as well? Well, I've got him on a uh, and diet. It's like a um, big, hard uh, biscuit. Oh, TD from... Yeah, yeah, I know the one you yeah, mean. The, the yeah, dental yeah. diet, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Okay. I've got him on them, but they're available to him all the time. Yeah, see, herein lies the, yeah, the problem. So... Dogs that have a food available all the time tend to graze more and they never actually get really hungry. So I would um, I would swap to a system where you feed him, put out a bit of his TD food um, in the morning, maybe a little bit of your VIP roll if you like. Take it away after 15 or 20 minutes. If he's if he's not eating it, he, he misses out on it until the next meal. Next meal, you can choose either to give him the TD back or you might just choose to give him just the, um, the chicken eggs if you like. But giving him all of that. That's quite a lot of food for a small dog. So um, if you're finding he's getting fat and he's not got a good appetite, people say to me, well, my dog, how can my dog be fat? He hardly ever eats. It's because he's eating too much and he's not hungry. So you need to try to cut back on the portion size. And most oftentimes you'll find that um, once we make him a little bit hungrier, um, A, he won't be getting gaining weight and he'll probably be a bit more enthusiastic. Problem against all of us, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Thanks for your call, Noel. Uh, Gary from... Uh, mm-hmm. Woodbury, how are you, mate? Hello, how are you going? Good, Gary. How are you doing? You're asking about um, feeding chicken necks. Yeah, chicken necks. What's your feeling on the chicken necks for the dogs? Yeah, listen, it's, um, again, again, controversial. I think in some dogs it works really well. It depends on the size of your dog. And I can tell you in our hospital we've recently had a dog die who inhaled a chicken neck. Um, it was, uh, you know, chicken neck was perfect size for this dog's airway um, and it just happened to go down the wrong way and it died. So it's certainly not safe in every dog. I think if your um, dog is little, um, you might need to be cutting your chicken necks along the, the lengthwise to make them a 
bit, um, you know, sort of smaller so that it, they're less of a risk. They certainly can get stuck in esophaguses. I think they like them. Um, and I think if, you're, if your dog isn't the type to sort of really inhale them, if they take a bit of time to chew on them, then they're probably okay. Um, we have to remember that the, um, the, the bone, the marrow that they get can be quite fatty. And we do see lots of overweight dogs um, who are getting a lot of this stuff. So I think, again, look at your dog. Look at how he eats them in terms of what his level of gulping it is. You know, if he's chewing on them or gulping um, can be okay, sometimes isn't. Gary, what? Yeah, it's just I guess common sense in regards to that. There is goodness in in having the chicken neck, and they do love it. Mm. Um, and as we discussed, it can be controversial between yeah. vets. Um, I do give my dogs chicken necks. I have got Weimaranas. There's lots of customers that come in the store that do also do that. But it's just using your common sense. Like mm. one thing I have tried to give my dogs is turkey wings. But I found even though they're a big dog, I think it's a bit risky to give turkey wings because they do have some sharp edges and some mm. some some risky parts of the bone so yeah just use your common sense and as as kimberly says there has been some issues at some point in time with some bones being lodged but you know i've, I've even heard of dogs who've had toys and, and toys have been oh, lodged sure. as well yeah. in in, yep. in in the throats of dogs um one of the people who actually bought one of my weimaraner puppies when it was about one and a half years old had a toy stuck down its throat and mm-hmm. it passed away as well so common sense goes all the way around but there is goodness in in having a, a, a the bone as well as the meat mm. all right thanks for that uh denny and thanks very much to gary now our dog of the week is that uh, yeah we've got a little um, a special little story here. Buster. 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 And he's done a I lot like of walking. <laughs> he's done a lot of walking. I don't think Kimberly. He's walked from South Australia to Karua. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, he's, he looks lovely. He's an, an older dog, nine-year-old Rhodesian Ridgeback boy. And he um, he's a senior dog. Looks like he's really good with people, children. Um, the, the story here is that he's walked from South Australia to Karua and then he couldn't walk any further. And I could certainly agree that if I walked that far, I couldn't walk any further. <laughs> I wonder how long it took him. Yeah. The, the pictures, he's a little bit heavy on the side. So I suspect that somebody's, um, given him a good deal of rest between now and then, because I'd imagine he would. I think he's thinner. Buster the Explorer. <laughs> Something like that. So, um, he, we've got Buster. He's trained. He knows his commands, sit, come and shake. He prefers to sleep inside at nighttime as it's warmer for his older body. So he's a big dog, but he likes to be in and amongst the family and in the house. Um, He's best suited to a quiet home where he'll have a daily routine to make him feel comfortable and relaxed. And I guess uh, the fact that he's a senior dog too, there's none of that an energy that a puppy has sure, or a younger yeah. dog that under three yeah. has. So if anyone wants more of a calm dog that lays about all day, yep. Buster's the one. So low, low maintenance companion. He's, he's certainly in the senior twilight years of his life. Nine-year-old for a, a Rhodesian Ridgeback, he's probably sort of 75% of the way through his average lifespan. So. And if you want to inquire about Buster, you can contact Sid, uh, Sid, uh, Sydney. Cindy, Cindy, <laughs> on four double nine one one seven three eight. Team effort. <laughs> that number four double nine one one seven. I've got a chicken neck stuck down my throat. Oh, no. oh um, dear. All right, now, well, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Thanks Another for having us along. We didn't get a chance to talk about heartworm, but I'm back in a couple of weeks, so we'll maybe try it then. 